Today's scripture passage is going to be uh, back in Matthew, so we're going backward just a little bit, but uh, we wanted to look at the Great Commission, and uh, this is found in Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 to 20. I'd like to invite you to look that up either in a Bible that you brought or in the chair or on your phone, Matthew 28, 16 to 20. As you're doing that, I'll make a comment just about one of my readings that, uh, in, in the book of Mark uh, this past week that caught my eye, and I was kind of focused on the same thing Scott was, the disciples' reaction to some of the things that Jesus said and did. So he's doing some pretty amazing things, the feeding the 5,000, blind Bartimaeus, uh, walking on water. I mean, these are amazing things. And the one phrase that caught my attention this week was the phrase, they were astonished beyond measure. I just thought that that was an interesting way to describe their reaction to Jesus, to be astonished beyond measure. And it got me wondering if when we encounter Jesus in these words, if we are also astonished and maybe even astonished beyond measure when we hear again the things that Jesus accomplished. So I'm praying that maybe that happens here this morning. Matthew 28, starting with verse 16. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and he said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. This is God's word, and it's true, and we can rely on it. How many of you got a chance to watch the Super Bowl last week? Pretty good game for a change. Yeah, it was good. Did you get to watch the commercials? Did you do like I do? You like go out and get your snack while the game's on and come back and watch while the commercials are going? Okay. Uh, We did a little survey whether your visual, uh, auditory, or kinesthetic feeling um, uh, learners, and we found out that most of you are visual learners, and the fewest of you are auditory learners, which means we should probably preach less and show more videos is what I'm thinking. (laughs) You're in luck today because I have a video of my favorite Super Bowl commercial, so we're going to just take a look at this one. So it's good even without the sound. <laughs> I, I can't help but watch that and get choked up. I don't know if you react that way when you see things. I find that certain things get me, and it gets me every time I watch an underdog achieve some great success. So I guess I'm a sucker for underdog movies and underdog commercials, things like that. But if truth were be told, it doesn't even have to be an underdog. 
Even when I see like normal people achieve something really great, it gets me, it makes me cry. I used to cry at my kids' junior high band concerts and high school musicals and show choir because I'm watching these kids and I'm thinking about the dedication and the hard work and the effort and the skill and the talent. When I go to athletic events and I watch kids perform and they do things that maybe even just a few months earlier they could not do and now they're able to do them, it gets me, it chokes me up. I like to watch people achieve. I was visiting in someone's home last week and the TV was on in the background and it was a college wrestling match between Penn State and Ohio State. And I have zero interest in college wrestling. And I have no idea who these wrestlers are, but I get drawn into one particular match that's really difficult between the Ohio State and Penn State guy. Penn State guy's losing, and then all of a sudden, he turns the tables and he pins the guy. And I'm like, I'm crying. I'm sitting on the couch. It's just in the background because I know how, hard, how much hard work went into that. I grew up thinking that disciple-making was a call that went to a group of Christians who were super special. Christians who were super spiritual, super committed, super gifted, super saints. Those are the people who were called to make disciples. And often they were called to make disciples after they were sent to some far-off country and they had to face some really difficult situations. Have you ever heard the story of Nate Saint? He was a missionary pilot and he confirmed my thinking about the super spiritual nature of these missionaries who make disciples. In 1955, Nate, along with four companions, Jim Elliott, Ed McCauley, Pete Fleming, and Roger Yadarian, went to reach Indian tribes in Ecuador. 1955. This was a very difficult mission, and all five of these men made extraordinary sacrifices to go into this remote area to reach these people. Ultimately, all five of them gave their lives because the Indians they were trying to reach met them by the river and speared them to death. I cried the first time I heard this story. These men gave everything to make disciples of all nations. And I thought that they were super saints with a special calling. In the years since I first heard that story, I've learned that these men were actually ordinary men who just received a special call, and it's the call that God gives to every disciple. Matthew 28 is kind of this foundational call for every follower of Jesus. This isn't targeted just at super saints or super committed or super gifted. This call is to all followers of Jesus. The call is disciples making disciples in everyday life so that normal everyday people who follow Jesus 168 hours a week reach out and bring Jesus into the world so that every man, woman, and child hears about Christ. That's the call to make disciples. This is what Matthew 28 is talking about. Do you know the name Vince Lombardi? So he was a famous coach and I guess he's Uh, one of the legends about him is that he started every Green Bay Packer season by holding up a football and saying to the players, this is a football. And by saying that, he was telling them, we're going to start with the basics. We're going to start with the foundation, and we're going to build from there, and they're going to build towards success. Everything else follows. Jesus' call in Matthew 28 is a, this is a football kind of call. 
It's a basic foundational call that's given to every disciple. And it's crystal clear. And he wants to make it clear by going through kind of the who, the what, the where, and the why of this calling, which I want to do right now. Jesus said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So the who of this call is we go in the authority of Jesus. That's who makes the call happen. Jesus' authority, but it's through us. You're going in my authority. The what, Jesus says, is we go to make disciples. Now, there's actually four verbs in this paragraph. But there's only one active verb, and the active verb is the make disciples verb. The other ones kind of explain how you make disciples. So you make disciples as you're going, as you're baptizing, as you're teaching, you're making disciples. So those are all kind of descriptive terms, but the what is clearly make disciples. Where do we do this? Everywhere. And the reason I pick up on this is because Jesus says, I will, be th- I will be with you always, from now until the end of the age. Wherever you go, whatever you do, whatever you encounter, whatever happens, Jesus says, I'm going to be with you. So that means that wherever we go, whatever happens, whatever we do, we can make disciples. That's where we make them. And the why is love. Because God loved us, and reached out with his love to us. I was thinking about that as we were singing the last song of worship today, that we can boldly approach the throne of grace with God's arms open wide to welcome us because he loves us. And because he loves us, we love God back. And part of loving God is loving our neighbors. So we love each other. So we reach out to make disciples everywhere we go because we love. This is not a call that's for the extraordinarily committed or the super gifted, or the super spiritual. This is a call that is for everybody. Every follower of Jesus is supposed to do this. Now, as much as I'd like to sometimes separate these two things, I find it difficult to do if I'm going to remain biblical. Love and obedience in Scripture are tied hand in hand. You can't separate the two. I've tried. You can't. I'm going to just give a couple of more kind of like this is football passages about love and obedience. Deuteronomy 11.1 1, Love the Lord your God and keep His requirements, His decrees, His laws, and His commands always. Love God and obey. John, or Psalm 119.167 I obey your commands because I love them greatly. Love and obedience hand in hand. John 14.23 Jesus says Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. Love and obedience. 1 John 2, 5, If anyone obeys his word, the love of God is made complete in them. Love and obedience tied together. We follow Jesus because God loves us, and following Jesus results in obedience. An obedience that results in disciples making disciples in the everyday stuff of life, which simply means we follow Jesus 168 hours a week in everything we do so that every man, woman, and child has a daily encounter with God in word and deed. This is about as basic as it gets, it seems to me. This is a football we're talking about, okay? But as basic as it is, I'll admit even though I don't yet have any statistics on this to back me up, but I'd be willing to bet that most 
Christians who hear this call to make disciples in Matthew 28 feel neither inspired or encouraged to actually go do it. I'm guessing that most Christians who hear this call feel guilty. I sometimes feel guilty when I read Matthew 28. Why? Because day in and day out, we don't perceive ourselves as actually doing what Jesus asked us to do. We don't think of ourselves as actively going out there, disciples making disciples in the everyday stuff of life. For some reason, we just feel like we're not called to it or we're not equipped to do it or something is missing. We don't witness to our faith. We don't get involved in someone else's life deeply to help them grow their faith. We're just not making disciples, and we know it, and that makes us feel guilty. Many people most often call this Matthew 28 passage the Great Commission. It's like the great charge he gave at the very end of his ministry. And there's a parallel passage in Mark 16 that you're going to read in a couple days when you read Mark 16. Mark 16, 15 another great commission passage. Jesus said to his disciples, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Pretty clear. And yet, the most common sermon title I could find when I googled this was not the great commission, but the great omission that apparently a lot of preachers and a lot of churches recognize that they're not doing this thing God has asked us to do. And so when we hear Jesus' very clear instructions, we're reminded of one more thing that we should do but regularly do not do, which as far as I'm concerned is a pretty good recipe for guilt. So what should we do about this? Surely we're not called to like water it down, like say, well, you know, you didn't really mean disciples of every nation, maybe. And we're certainly not called to, like, give ourselves a pass. Well, we know Jesus said to do it, but maybe we can get off the hook. And I'm not willing to stand before you and say that just because we don't do it or do it enough that we can't do it. Because I think if he's asking us to do it, we certainly can do it. So I'm going to make a proposal to you. Here's the proposal that we grow our imagination as it's related to the call to make disciples so that we pray about it and we engage in some simple training about how to do it and that we have a bunch of conversations with each other about what happened after we prayed and got some training and that out of that mix something might grow in us that thing that might grow is that we might see ourselves more and more living as disciples who make disciples and that we might see more and more that we're following Jesus in all 168 hours of our week and we might see more and more people in our community, more men, women, and children who have an encounter with Jesus every day. I think that's what could happen. So here's what I know about training. We all derive some sense of our worth from the things that we're good at. If we have an area of competence, then we celebrate that and we get more involved. So at work or at home or when we volunteer or hobbies, when we're really good at something, we do more of it. And when we find ourselves in situations where we do not feel confident or competent, then we become anxious and worried. 
This actually, by the way, is why they've done studies on this. Why adults have a hard time learning a new language or learning to play a musical instrument as an adult? That's not because our brains shut down, because we don't have the capacity. The reason why we have a hard time with it is because we start feeling incompetent and we quit before we get it. So I don't want that to happen with our disciple-making. So I'm thinking if we humbly admitted that we have shortcomings in this area and just say it is true, we are not as good at making disciples as we want to be, and we pray for God to open up doors so that we can become competent and we don't quit too soon, we keep at it and keep learning, keep getting better. And I'm going to suggest that we actually start this today, actually right now. And the way we're going to start this is I want you to hear firsthand from some humble followers of Jesus who had a desire to be better at making disciples. And they wanted to figure out how to make that a part of their everyday life. How could they just do this as a normal part of their routine? And they tried something that was something they'd never tried before. And they learned. I'm going to guess they didn't get it all right the first time, but they learned some things and they're getting better at it. And they have a story to tell. And they did this with a particular ministry that we support called Safe Families for Children. And I guess in an ideal world, every one of you would bust out of this room at the end of the service and go sign up to be Safe Families for Children. That'd be one good outcome. But another really good outcome is if it just stretches your imagination. So even if it's not Safe Families, you say, I could make disciples every day. I could follow Jesus 168 hours a week, and that could make a difference in my life as a disciple making disciples. That's the outcome I'm really hoping for for all of us. So we're going to set this up by giving you just a short introduction video that explains Safe Family, and then I'm going to invite Scott and Laura and Carl and Lindsay to come up and share a little of their experience with Safe Family. So let's show the video. What does this mean? A concierge? A good meal? A place to rest? In the original Greek, this is translated as the love of a stranger. So how do we make a stranger feel loved and a part of our church? Every day, there is a family in your surrounding community that is facing a crisis. A single mom who loses her part-time job, a dad in the hospital because of illness, and mom is the only one with income. A mom in a shelter, and her children are vulnerable. A home is flooded, and there is nowhere to live. These families end up having no one to turn to. They have no other options. For centuries, the church was the central institution those in need turned to. Yet in recent years, the church has stepped back while other social agencies have stepped in. It's time the church began to live out hospitality the biblical way. Safe Families for Children provides the process and structure your church needs to serve families in times of crisis. How do we do it? Well, when you start Safe Families in your church, you start by educating and building an awareness that there is a need. Then you will begin to notice people that are passionate about helping others in times of need. And they become what we call ministry leads, family coaches, family friends, resource friends, and host families. Host, hold on a minute, like in my house? Well, yes. Host families are highly trained, background-checked, compassionate families. These families are then placed with a child from a family facing a crisis, helping that family and giving them time to get back on their feet. But wait, there's more. As your ministry grows, we help identify volunteers who can aid and support these families. A church ministry lead acts as the connection point between safe families and the church. 
We also identify family coaches, people that coordinate connecting a family in need with a host family and nurturing that relationship throughout the process. Internally, the DNA of your church will change. Families that were hesitant at first will see others doing it and join in. Externally, it will put your church in a new light in the community as it shows your willingness to show biblical hospitality to others. Join us in helping families in crisis by showing them the hospitality they need in a time of crisis. Safe families. Good morning once again, and so uh, we are excited to share with you our uh, Safe Families experience, and we'll start and, and then uh, let Carl and Lindsay kind of follow up. So first of all, I, I realized I forgot to introduce myself at the beginning of the service, so I'm Scott Duzimski, and this is my wife, Laura, and, and we're members here of the church. Um, and, and you know, we talked for a number of years before we got into this about... Um, what our, our role here was. We've talked about adoption. we talked about foster care. And, and we were always very hesitant to do something. I can't tell you exactly why. Uh, well, I can. It, it's just it's kind of a daunting sort of thing to even consider. Um, and, and so, um, you know, we weren't sure exactly what to do until Brett showed up at church one day. Right. And at that point in time, we thought, I think this is it. You know, it's, it's, it's kind of a low key. It's it's something that you can choose. You know, they, Brett will send out a message that says there's this family with these children of these ages that have had hostings before and they've done just fine. And so it makes it a little easier to say, yeah. And that message also tells you they want a hosting for a week or a weekend or three months. Or, and you can always say no. Yeah. In fact, what it is is you only say yes to those emails. If you don't want to do it or don't feel called to do it at that point in time, you don't answer. So that's what makes it a little easier. Yeah, and, and you know, I think uh, I was most struck when we met with Brett about, and it was in the video there, about the impact uh, that the early church had and, and how, quite frankly, the, the church made its name in the Roman culture by caring for the widows and the orphans. And that's, that's in the Bible. It's biblical there. But that's how they set themselves out uh, apart. And, and quite frankly, it was some of the best, I'll call it marketing, for, for the Christian faith that you could come up with. And, and we have uh, handed that over, and it's not a bad thing, handed that over to the state and, and to the government to take care of, but we still have a role as a church. And, and this is cool because we're keeping kids from having to go into that DHS program, and we're allowing the parents to maintain the control and, and the uh, oversight of their kids, but helping out at the same time. So it's just been kind of a cool thing for us. Yeah, we... Uh... We like being able to help out with that, um, to keep families together, to keep them from having to sign over their rights for their kids and then try to get them back later. Um, we've had two hostings in the last three years, so it worked. We just used, did them at, at a time that worked for us. Um, our first one was two summers ago, and we hosted Andrew and Julian, and they were brothers, ages four and six, and... They had a lot of energy, <laughs> lots, um, and we still so appreciate all the church members that brought food for us because we were also in the middle of baseball and softball season, so our two kids had stuff going on, and we had these two extra guys, and, and so lots of people brought us supper, and that was amazing, and that's another way that someone who doesn't want to do a hosting can be involved is supplying 
those things that just help you out immensely. Um, the reason we hosted those boys was because mom had to have wisdom teeth out and dad was not in the picture at all. So dad chose not to be a part of their family. Mom had to have wisdom teeth out and she was with them 24 seven. Um, she had the resources and the help from her parents so that she could stay home 24 seven. But with those two high energy boys and a <laughs> three year old sister who had just as much energy and an older sister who was 12, mom needed a break. Um, so we gave her that break for two weeks, yeah. um, and she was able to then go out and find a job, which gave her a daily break and <laughs> made it a little easier for her to, to deal with, with life as a single parent. Just to give you an idea of how hectic it was, when I went, I don't think we have any photos. <laughs> so we have photos of our second hosting, but I tried to find one, and we didn't have time. Just keep it up with them. And, and Ben will tell you stories after church if you're interested about how it rocked his world, too. But it really impacted us, but it was still, it was a great thing. It was, it was. Um, our, recent, our most recent hosting ended a few weeks ago. Um, a lot of you have met Alea. She is three years old, and she's so sweet and so cute. Um, and actually, we're going to get her around 10 or 10.15 this morning because mom's going to a Bible conference um, that's, that's going to be good for her. And so we're going to have Alea again for a week. And that changed our world as well. Um, we had her for close to four months. And Carl and Lindsay had her little brother, Antonio, or... Peanut. He's, <laughs> that's his nickname. And, you know, it, she was a joy. We love her. You know, she's, she's just part of our family and she's got her own room. And, and, uh, yeah. And, and I think the thing that strikes me is that she's going to be part of our family for a long time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we, we love her. And the kids, the kids, are always, oh, I don't want to lay to go home. I don't want, I want her to stay with us longer. You know, and and they've they've learned so much, um, and that's the thing about safe families is if you do choose to host, they recommend that the kids be younger than your youngest child, so that your kids are always the role models, and and that's a cool thing. Our kids have learned so much through this. They've learned about our youngest got to learn how to be an older sibling. That doesn't usually happen. Um, and they can tell you stories. They'll, they'll be back there with us. They can tell you stories if you want to ask them. And it's, it's been really cool. And, and now, you know, we can, we can still continue to be Daisha's friend. That's the mom's name. We can still be, continue to be her friend and help her out. And um, the kids get extra playmates. It's kind of fun in a way. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Uh, for those of you who don't know us, I'm Carl, and this is my wife, Lindsay. We're the Youngs family. We have a five-year-old boy, Hans, and a three-year-old girl, Nina. And I uh, just wanted to tell you a little bit of how we got involved with Safe Families. Um, we had hearts uh, to grow spiritually and to serve others. We, we wanted to teach our children uh, to follow Jesus' example. In uh, Mark 10:45, Jesus said, The Son of Man did, uh, did not come to be served, but to serve. So we wanted to follow that example. Uh, we looked into fostering, um, like the Drzymskis, but... The system seems to be very prohibitive. <coughs> 30 hours of uh, classes you have to take. We had to find child care. Um, and, you know, you have the government watching over you every step. So when we were introduced to Safe Families, we thought this was a much better situation where the parents actually want you to take, your kid, take their kids as opposed to them being taken away by the government. Um, and it's a preventative step so they don't get into the foster system, ideally. Um, 
some of our experiences are, Lindsay works part-time, so we uh, started out by doing some weekend hostings, and when we started doing that, that kind of instilled some fear into us as parents of young children, and we were, you know, the worst case is something happens and then our children get taken away. But this led to us being forced to trust God and his plan by obeying the word and walking in love. In Luke eleven twenty eight, it says, Blessed are those who hear the word of God and obey it. And in 2 John 1, 6, he says, This is love, that we walk in obedience to his commands. As you have heard from the beginning, his command is that you walk in love. So, as you guys mentioned, we had another opportunity this past October with one-year-old Antonio, and his family had a real need. They were going to become homeless unless something happened. This was God calling us to, to help out. It was a perfect situation for us um, with our circumstances. He had daycare. We needed that. The location was ideal. The Jozemskis were in the neighborhood, and a family from Stonebridge actually hosted the mother. And so we could kind of keep the family intact and, and grow together. So... Um, here are a couple examples of how we recognize how we are blessed in our situation and uh, our time with safe families has uh, shown us that you know others need uh, or could also benefit from these kind of experiences. So our, uh, having these two young kids, uh, our ideal situation was them to sleep well, not wake us up in the middle of the night and be cheerful during the day. That came with having a great sleep schedule, naps, etc. But when Antonio would come home after being with mom over the weekend, uh, that didn't really happen. And it really helped us recognize that, you know, when you have a mom in crisis who has to keep her kids up late, who can't deal with nap time because they're sharing a room, it's really not something that she can benefit from. Um, And we just feel blessed to have that opportunity, but also to be part of her life to help her see what she can glean from that. You want to talk? Sure. (laughs) So we all make poor decisions from time to time. I'm sure you have and I do all the time. Um, I wanted to tell you about a time when our youngest had a rash and so I took her to the doctor and the doctor kind of harshly said, well, she must have had this rash for some time. She's been scratching at it and it was eczema so no big deal but I just felt guilt and sadness, and I just love my daughter, and I didn't want her to go through that. I felt bad, and so I went right to CVS, and I got everything on the list, and that cost me $80. And I went home, and in the next day, I was like, well, that was probably a poor decision. The, The point is, is that Antonio's mom makes poor decisions from time to time. I make poor decisions. You do. So... Um, But that poor decision, if she had done that out of the same love in her heart for her child, uh, could have cost her gas money for the entire week, and maybe she couldn't have gone to work. So that's the difference, really, that we have that, we're able to cover that, Make make those mistakes that don't hurt me. The same mistake would hurt her a lot more. Um, the last thing that stood out recently was that we had an email from uh, about a mom with three children, I believe, it was about to give birth, and she needed somebody to watch her kids when she gave birth. Our extended family would take care of that need in a heartbeat. 
Safe Families can be that extended family for this mom to take care of that need. And so some more takeaways yeah, are, are, is that we choose to be the extended family for these people who don't have the extended family. And uh, as the video pointed out, the church historically used to do that. Our family has a passion for families with children in need, and we are seeing this develop in our kids. That's a great thing. This is a goal of ours, and we're very blessed that they get to do this. They get to help out little Antonio when he's crying at night, singing songs to him, try to comfort him so we can get some sleep. Um, Another takeaway is hosting is not easy. It's like bringing an infant into your home with needs of supervision, waking up at night. So even though he's one, he's two years old, you still have that need that an infant does because it's being ripped out of an environment and putting, put into a new one. And so we uh, reached out to our family and out to Facebook. We had some friends from our previous church who responded by uh, giving gifts and diapers. My folks gave birthday presents. We are hoping that we can build an extended family here at Cedar Hills. After the service and between the services, we're going to be out back to talk to anybody who, if it's on your heart, to um, maybe be a little part of that extended family. We're maybe provide meals, diapers, or supplies. We had uh, somebody babysit for us, uh, be a family friend of the mother, pray for the hosting, and uh, Safe Families also takes donations too. Um, so if it's on your heart, we just plan on sending an email whenever there's a Cedar Hills hosting to, to anybody who signed up who, if it's on your heart to help out, feel free to respond. Thank you very much. Thank you. So two responses. The first one would be, Right after the service, go across to the little safe families table and talk with them about your interests and get some more information for that. The other thing is to take the insert out of the bulletin and look at the five questions that are listed there. There are five P's that are involved in this kind of uh, disciple-making disciple strategy. You identify the people, the place, the proclamation, the plan, and then you pray. Okay? So can you name specific people in your life? If it's not, I mean, I can't think of a more everyday thing than bringing a kid into your home. But we all have everyday situations where we run into friends, neighbors, coworkers, schoolmates. These are people we see every day. Can you name the people that you see every day? Can you name the places where you see them, where you have interaction with them? Can you start to think intentionally about proclamation in in word and deed? So deed would be, I'm going to be nice to them. I'm going to care for them. I'm going to love them. I'm going to do kind things. The word is, I'm going to give a reason for the hope that I have. I'm going to share gospel. I'm going to bring it into their everyday life. Um, And then you make an intentional plan for that. How often am I going to be doing this? How often am I going to pray? And then you just start praying. So take that little insert home and work through that, and I think that's going to be our next step toward everyday disciples making disciples 168 hours a week. That's our hope and our vision. So appreciate you joining us in that.